In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, it's quite tragic, but we all know we're seriously divided, not just as a nation, but, you know, there are divisions within uh, our churches, our families, and it's it's more evident now than ever that, that there are divisions among us. And we got to wonder why. Why are we so divided? You know, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves, and that's the question that I want to try to answer today. And we know we're in the pandemic, and we know a lot is going on. There, there's racial tension, and there's discrimination, and we have to be separated with the social distancing and all of this that kind of divides us. But, you know, there's a little bit more to it than just that. And I really want to dig into the real reason why we're so divided. But before I share my thoughts with you about what I think really divides us now, I want to take a moment to put the concept of unity in its proper context. Okay, if you remember, a couple of months ago I spoke about unity and I mentioned how unity is not intrinsically virtuous. You know, there are gangs that are united and there are many groups that are united and share a common bond, but it's not necessarily beneficial. You know, it's not it's not that every unit is inherently good. Okay, and Christ himself even says that they're not supposed that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And that's from Matthew 10, 34. Okay, and it reminds us that Christ who is the truth divides the light from the darkness. Okay, and divisions are inevitable. Divisions are inevitable because when someone affirms that this is the only way to live, and Christ came and told us, I am the way, the truth, the life, this is the only way, then any other way will not coexist as a same unit. It will ultimately separate itself. And Christ made that very clear. He said that, I I didn't just come to make everyone hold hands and like sing kumbaya and say we're all together and anything goes, live however you want. Right? And so it's important for us to realize that those divisions are inevitable because truth isn't just this relative concept that can just exist in several different ways, okay? So, I want to talk to you about a couple of lies that Satan typically uses to deceive us. And especially nowadays, these lies or these deceptions create more divisions. Yeah, and of course, 
the goal of the Christian life is not just to get along with everyone and say we're all united, like the whole world is one unit. And, and, and that's, of course, a good, a good endeavor to pursue, but it's not the purpose. Ultimately, we want to be established in the truth and we want to be established in Christ. He's the goal, not necessarily to say, you know, let's compromise our morals and just get along. Okay? <clears throat> so, we do want to be united, but again, it's, it's not the goal. Right Now, in our pursuit of unity, in our pursuit of Christ, typically we fall into several deceptions or pitfalls. Okay? And we can talk about hundreds of the deceptions and the lies and the pitfalls that the devil uses to deviate us from our goal, but I'm just going to focus on two today. Okay? The first deception or lie is when the devil says something like this, if we just allow ourselves to become free to think and act how we want, we'll have no divisions. So if we eliminate the boundaries between us and just accept each other's principles, we'll all be united. Okay, that's the first lie that the, the devil tries to feed us. So this deception is to think that we can all live in unity in our own version of the truth. Okay, it's almost like to say, let's all just tolerate and accept other ways of life. That way will all be a unit, will all be united. So it's basically to say that if we just live freely and stay out of each other's way, we'll have peace and unity. Okay? And we know that's a lie, that's not the truth. The truth is that there's one way to live, right? The truth is that there is one lifestyle. And if we think that if we live in this freedom that, you know, we eliminate our boundaries, then we'll be more united than we fool ourselves. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16 that we ought to live in this freedom. He says to live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants to God. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to say yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. <clears throat> we often hear in society words like, I'm free, you know, and, and obviously in America, this is the land of the free, right? I can think however I want, I can do whatever I want, right? And society is infiltrated with this false sense of freedom or liberty to think that we are autonomous okay and and that's a dangerous concept whenever it trickles into the life of the christian but it encourages us to live without a moral compass okay so this false sense 
of freedom or this false sense of liberty, and we know that we are a liberal society. We, we know that not just as a society, but as a state and this city specifically is like as liberal as it gets, right? And so to use liberty as a cloak for vice is what liberalism is all about. Liberalism is to take that liberty and misuse it. And it's a gift. Freedom is a gift. We are free. We have liberty. But when that liberty now becomes a license to live according to our own different version of the truth, our own relativity, our own subjective morals, then we fall into that vice. And I know a lot of people here, liberalism or anything close to that, and they automatically think of politics or Democrats and Republicans or whatever, but please just do me a favor, take your political lens off for the next few minutes and put on your spiritual lens, because this has absolutely nothing to do with politics. You know, when Peter is saying that we, we, we live as free, yet not using liberty as a tool for vice, he's not talking about a, a political movement. Okay? But there's a spiritual reality here. Okay, because society encourages us to invent our own version of the truth. Father Matthew the Poor says, It's never happened that the world in its alienation from God is as starved for truth, justice, peace, and love as it is today. So much so that it has both become enslaved to every form of thought and every trend. If we consider the divine and spiritual concept of unity, we find that it's one of the features that's lacking in the life of the Western world at this time. That's to say, in the West, individualism is tyrannizing society, family life, religion, worship, and work. If this situation worsens, it will be sufficient to undermine the solidarity of the church, thus lessening the opportunities for salvation and from communicating the message of life to the individual. And he says such an individual is ensnared by mass media and recreational pastimes. So we all often hear this concept of individualism promoted in our society like, you're yourself. Be you. Think however you want. Right? So then we fabricate our own version of the truth. Right? And then this ideology of individual deceives us to think that we're our own source of reality or truth. Like we're the source of our moral compass. So we can bend the truth to our own relative interpretation. And that's where it gets dangerous. Okay, that's where liberty is used for vice. That's what liberalism is all about, where we misuse that freedom because we want to distort reality or truth according to 
our own subjective agenda. So this ultimately deceives us to think that all truth is relative. Okay, so we dilute truth to however we want it to be. And that's the way society exists now, unfortunately, that's the case. Father Seraphim Rose says, In the liberal worldview, therefore, in its theology, its ethics, its politics, and in other areas we've not examined as well, truth has become weakened, softened, compromised, and in all realms, truth that was once absolute has become less certain, if not entirely relative. Now society invents what's right or wrong, right? Even when you look at morality, it's a social construct. And that's why we as Christians don't live a life with the purpose of just becoming moral people. Because morality is a social construct. Think of your, your uncle who's suffering. Right? Society would say, if your uncle, your grandpa, whoever is suffering, your family member, if they're old and they're dying and they're burdening their family, the moral thing to do is to allow them to end their life. And, and they sugarcoat it to say, okay, the moral thing to do is to end their suffering. Right? And that's what euthanasia is all about. That's moral, according to society. And some people would, would even say it's immoral if you let them suffer. Right? So what's moral, what's not moral is a social construct. So society is inventing what's right and what's wrong, but so long as we live in this relative version of the truth, then this relativity, it, it produces a type of atmosphere where we reject all absolute truth. Okay, we say that there is no absolute truth in that sense. If everything is just relative, then there's no absolute truth. Okay, and that's what nihilism is all about. The, the word nihilism comes from nihil, which means nothing. So nihilism is like this ideology that nothing true exists. Everything is just relative or subjective. Father Seraphim Rose, who, who died in 1982, so several decades ago, he spoke about this mindset that exists within the modern man, or at least at the time when he wrote this. So think about him writing this half a century ago. He says, What more realistically is this mutation, the new man. He's the rootless man, the free thinker and skeptic, closed only to the truth, but open to each new intellectual fashion. True faith has been annihilated in him, the planner, the experimenter. He has abandoned truth, seeing the world as a vast laboratory in which he is free to, to determine what is possible the autonomous man, pretending to the humility of only asking his rights, yet full of the pride that expects everything to be given him in a world where nothing is authoritatively forbidden. 
the man of the moment, without conscience or values, and thus at the mercy of the strongest stimulus, the rebel, hating all restraint and authority because he himself is his own and only God. Again, this was written half a century ago. And he didn't see what's happening now. And he still wrote this. Like, I, I can't imagine what he would write about our society today. I remember I was watching an interview with Lauren Daigle, and some of you might know her. She's a wonderful Christian artist. And they asked her, how do you feel about homosexuality? How do you feel about homosexuality? Do you, do you feel that it's right or wrong? And they didn't ask her about the law or whether they should be legally permitted to do this. So I just said, do you feel that it's right or wrong? She responded saying, who am I to say? I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you what, what they're doing is right or wrong. Who am I to say? And that's where we cross the line to reject the reality that an absolute truth does exist. You know, we do know there is a right and there is a wrong. You know, we're not judging or condemning anyone, right? We have nothing but love and compassion and acceptance to anyone, to everyone. But when we say, who am I to say this is right or wrong, then we deny the, the necessity for us to live with, with a conviction in the truth. Father Seraphim Rose says a little later, it is in the liberal view, the people who rule and not God. God himself is a constitutional monarch whose authority has been totally delegated to the people and whose function is entirely ceremonial. The liberal believes in God with the same rhetorical fervor with which he believes in heaven. You know, just like heaven is just there, you know, but he's not really living in subjection to heaven because it's not his master. He says, the government erected upon such a faith, or you could even think of society that's erected on such a faith, is very little different in principle from a government or a society erected upon total disbelief and whatever its present residue of stability, it's clearly pointed in the direction of anarchy. Okay, what's he really trying to say here? And, and trust me, it's not a political statement. He's not talking about how the government should function. He's saying whenever there are no guiding principles, then there's anarchy. And it's not about Republicans or Democrats. He's stressing that liberalism is a dangerous ideology that has no moral compass. And it actually divides us, especially when this mindset exists in our leadership. You know, it was just heartbreaking to, to hear a few days ago that the Pope said we should allow for civil union for homosexual couples. It has nothing to do with our love and our compassion and our acceptance for anyone who is homosexual or transgender or whatever it may be. But 
to say we permit this activity is different than saying we accept everyone. So this deceives us to think that freedom comes when we live without any binding principles. You know, if there are no boundaries, then we'll just be free. But in reality, we're enslaved to our relative version of the truth. And obviously there are some big issues that apply to this, like defining life and dignity, which has implications on abortion, euthanasia, all those other big stuff. We could talk about defining gender and personhood and the implications that that has on marriage and family life as a whole, and that's a big deal. You know, there are tons of things, the list goes on, but I want to just assume we all agree on those big issues. Okay, I, I, I think it's fair to say there's not much of a debate here. I don't think we have to worry about the devil deceiving us in those matters. So let's go a step further and talk about the finer matters of life when this ideology fills our mind. When we don't have a moral compass, we're deceived to think that we can define matters of life on our own. So the devil comes and gets away with feeding us the most subtle little lies in our own personal life and the way we act and live every day. So he can get away with telling us things like, you can talk to people however you want. You know, it's, it's fine. There's no problem with talking this way or that way. You know, people use this language all the time. You could use that language. It's fine. Who's to say that's wrong? The, dev- the devil will come and tell us, you can listen to whatever music you want. And so we can look at society and see how so many people are listening to garbage and vulgar songs and whatever. And the devil comes and says, you know, who's to say that's wrong? What's the big deal? Or you can watch whatever movies you want. Everybody's watching this stuff. Everybody's looking at these pictures. Who's to say that's wrong? Or you can spend your time however you want. Look, people are doing this, people are doing that with their time. Why can't you? You're free. Why can't you use your time this way? Or just spend your whole day on social media and spend your whole day watching TV, spend your whole day sleeping, whatever. This has critical implications on our life because it just dictates the way we live. It determines whether we're going to live with a moral compass, which is Christ, or we're just going to live according to our own relative version of the truth. When your child comes home from school one day and tells you, Mom, someone was bullying me, someone hit me, how do you respond? Do you say, just hit him back, defend yourself? Do you respond like the way everybody else in society would typically respond? Or do you have a guiding principle, which is Christ, and the scriptures, and of course you cover your ground and tell him to notify the teacher or whatever, but you tell him to love. You tell him to forgive, to turn the other cheek. 
what kind of advice are you going to give? When people are gossiping around you at work, do you participate in that? Or do you walk away? Do you say that, well, everyone does it, what's the big deal? Right? We, we can go on and on and on to list all the different components of our life that this dictates. But we as Christians have a different standard. We have a moral compass, and that's Christ. The scripture tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And it's okay, we could be different. We could stand on that solid ground even if we're alone. Because the purpose of our life is not just to get along with the world. It's not just to be united with the world. And the devil deceives us to say, well, you're free, so just lay down your fences and join everybody with what they're doing, be one big family. When St. Athanasius was told the world is against you, how did he respond? He said, and I'm against the world. Right? So I think it's all... It's safe to say we all agree here. But I want to take a moment to talk about how this deception really finds its way in our life. How does it actually spread? Now, if we're talking about the dangers of liberalism, the dangers of living in this relative mindset, and we know how destructive it is, how does it actually spread? And it's always disguised as tolerance. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. You see, it's a false sense of freedom that deceives us to think that just because we're living with more tolerance, that we'll have more peace and unity. We're tolerating everyone, so everything's going to be more peaceful. We're fooled to think that we're united in this spirit of complacency and relativity. Coming back to Father Seraphim Rose, and he wrote extensively on this, so I'm referencing quite a bit. He says, the liberal is indifferent to absolute truth. So, without truth, we have no reference point, and we're actually more scattered. We're more divided. Becoming more tolerant in that way is not more virtuous at all. It's interesting how Christ intricately connected unity with truth. And you see that in his prayer at Gethsemane. In John 17, 17 to 21, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So just as soon as he talks about truth, he talks about unity because they can't be separated. We are only united in as much as we are fixed in Christ. We're united in Christ and in Christ alone. And He's not this relative reference point. He's an absolute truth. He's our only moral compass. 
without this moral compass, we reject the presence of this guide. And we stray into the most horrific sins. Father Seraphim Rose says in another place, it's precisely from nihilism, you know, this idea that no truth exists. It's precisely from the nihilism of the commonplace, from the everyday nihilism revealed in the life and thought and aspiration of the people that all the terrible events of our century have sprung. Then he goes on to talk about one of the most terrible events in history. And I think we could all agree that it would likely be the Holocaust. He goes to talk about the Holocaust after he says that it's nihilism, it's this rejection of truth that produces evils like the Holocaust. But if you think about all the discrimination and hatred that we have happening today, it's really not so different from what Hitler was doing about eight decades ago. Hitler had no moral compass. He wanted to redefine what what it means to be a real person. So he thought that homosexuals, Jews, everyone who's different than him was inferior. He said, okay, they're not people. I get to decide who's a person and who's not. Just as now we're saying, I get to decide what my gender is. I get to decide. Now there's something called like trans-ageism, where you can decide what age you want to be. It's, it's insane. But this is the mindset that Hitler had. So these are not real people, so they're not people. I could just burn them. And it's infuriating, but we're actually much worse today. An estimated amount of Six million, or if you want to be more generous, you could say 10 or maybe even 12 million people were killed in the Holocaust. You know how many people have been murdered by abortion in just the last four decades? 60 million. 60 million children. And it's all because we want to redefine truth and live in this liberal mindset that we're free to think and do whatever we want. We've redefined what it means to be a person. So we give ourselves the license to just discriminate against people. And we give ourselves the license to murder. And live in our own selfish world. Remember St. Peter said, we are free. As free. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. But as bond servants to God. This last part, when he says it's bond servants to God, is a critical part of the verse because he's urging us to use our freedom to be in submission to God, as servants to God. And it seems ironic, but we have to empty ourselves of our own opinions of the truth, our own thoughts. We have to set aside our mindset and cling to Christ. And we have to have no other mind but the mind of Christ. Father Matthew the poor says, the moment you realize at the bottom of your heart that you are nothing and that God is everything, then the truth shall have set you free. The moment you realize that you are nothing, God is everything, then you'll be free. But if you think that your mindset is what matters, then you won't submit to the absolute ultimate truth, which is Christ. So this is the first lie. This lie of liberalism, which actually divides us. 
we're more scattered and divided now more than ever because we're living without a moral compass. We have no reference point. Right? The second line, I know I'm way over my time, but I'm just going to wrap up with this second line just a minute. Is when Satan deceives us to politicize the truth. And I was going to end here, but it's important that I just touch on this because now more than ever, we are politicizing the truth. And the devil comes and says, let's just make this into a political debate. If I say something like, I'm against abortion, is that a political statement? Does it mean I'm a Republican and I love Trump? (laughs) If I say I'm against polluting the air and contaminating our environment, is that a political statement? Does it mean I'm a Democrat and I love Biden, I'm voting for Biden? If I say... I'm against the oppression of black people or I'm against the oppression that's happening against the black community. Does that mean I support the Black Lives Matter movement and defunding the police and that whole agenda and so on? There are several examples about this, but the point is these are all moral statements. I'm against abortion. I'm against pollution. I'm against racial oppression. It's just so heartbreaking now and and it's so tragic that in our society we twist all these moral principles into political matters. We're politicizing everything. And like I said before, like if we don't set aside our political glasses, our political lens and look through the eyes of Christ, look through spiritual lens, we're going to live in this deception. And this, the deception is plaguing society. The deception to politicize truth is plaguing our society now more than ever. And yes, like we got to be careful with our statements, but the point is, the truth is the truth. Whether it has political implications or not, we can't get sucked into society's effort to politicize it. I wrote several weeks ago about the dangers of liberalism. Actually, not several weeks ago, just like a week and a half. And I I said a lot of what I've been saying from the beginning of the sermon, like how this liberal society lives without a moral compass and just dilutes truth into a relative matter. Of course, this has political implications, but as you know, we're speaking about the spiritual dangers of this ideology, right? It's not about politics, it's not about a political party. But of course, like as soon as I posted this, I had a couple of people immediately respond to me about conservatism and the problem with the Republican Party and the issues with their political views, even though I never said a thing about defending the political party of the Republicans or Democrats or whatever, right? And I know things might get lost in a post and everything, but I wrote for like, Four pages straight, so I covered my grounds. But at the end, you still see how something as simple as a spiritual message can be politicized, right? 
criticizing the liberalism about our society has absolutely nothing to do with criticizing Democrats. Right? And I remember even going back to look at what I said that you know liberalism can exist with Democrats and Republicans. You know, people live in their own relative version of the truth. It doesn't matter about your political party affiliation. There are liberal Republicans and there are Democrats that are really aren't so liberal. <laughs> and there are actually a lot of Democrats that are against abortion. And they're conservative. Right? They have conservative views. They even have like a society, uh, a society against abortion within the Democratic Party. The point is, we got to take off our political glasses. Some people just want to politicize matters. And I hope you haven't been politicizing what I've been saying from the start either. Because you'll miss everything that I've said about how truth is now under attack. And this relativity in society is actually dividing us. And we can't fall into that pitfall. Especially within these next couple of weeks where it's going to get more political than ever. There's going to be a lot of tension. And I'm, and I'm glad. I had a few people that were Democrats and would identify more with the left. Messaged me, called me, texted me about how much they benefited from this post. Because they're seeking truth. Right? They don't want to just politicize matters. Okay? So the point is, we have to look at life through the eyes of Christ. Okay? I'll leave you with the words of Father Matthew the Poor. If we, if we want the world to be united, we have to take it upon ourselves to be grafted in the truth first. So he says here, it's clear that the world is ever moving towards liberation from the church. He's saying like, we're divided, we're separated from the church. For it's the church that gives the opportunity for the world to move away from her in proportion to her own liberation from the complete submission and adherence to God. The return of the world to the spirit of the church depends on the church's return to the spirit of God. So this is why are people so liberated or, or separated from the church? Because the church itself is separated from the truth. It's separated from the spirit of submission and adherence to God. And unless we abide in the church, abide in the truth, then we're not going to bring the world to the truth. We're not going to unite the world in the truth. And as Christ himself said, that we are united in him, in the truth and in no other place. And to him is due all glory forever and ever. Amen.